Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. All right, welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here, and uh, absolute privilege to be speaking to another person from the UK this time, uh, Emma Maston from the UK, CEO and founder of Inspirem. How are you this beautiful Thursday, Emma? Yeah, I'm doing really well. It started snowing in Cornwall in the UK, which rarely happens. So very excited for today's weather. Doing well. well <laughs> so when you say it's it's cold and wet, what sort of temperature Celsius are we talking about? Uh, it's about zero. So it's uh, <laughs> it's Cornwall doesn't get much snow. So this is an unusual day in January for sure. So wow. Well, I was um I was talking to a few people last week in Melbourne. We're supposed to be having a summer. And it's been, I think we've had one day in the 30s in about a month, and we've had something like 300 millimetres of rain, which is which is not good. So it's unusually cool this time of year for us. Uh, not a good advert for uh, coming out <laughs> at the moment, but hopefully a warm up. <laughs> That's it. So very much looking forward, Emma, to this conversation. Uh, you started Inspiring back in 2019, but I do know you've got a 25-year-plus history in technology. So as we jump into this, there's a lot, number of topics I'd love to explore with you. Uh, as an introduction, I'd love to know a little bit about you in terms of your background and specifically what got you to start Inspiring. Was it a, what is it in, was it an event? Was it an epiphany or was it just something that organically grew? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thanks very much. Well, lovely to be here. So a little bit of my background. So um, I always wanted to be a doctor. That's what I wanted to be when I was a kid. And then I wow. find myself going into this sales world. So how did that all uh, kick off? Well, when I was at school, I worked. I was actually part of a, a working class family and going into study medicine was probably going to be a bit of a leap, but I always worked really hard. So I actually left school uh, during my A-levels at 16 and found myself working for a bunch of different companies and ended up at Ingram Micro, which is obviously one of the largest tech companies in the world, uh, which was I was 19 at the time. And I was fortunate to meet somebody from IBM who said to me, hey, I think you could go and do something really great. Let me introduce you to a company that I think will look after you. So I went to work for an IBM reseller and the sort of the rest is history, really. I then went from the IBM reseller, worked there for five years, did some really big deals with investment banks. I then went to work for Sun Microsystems, went out to the US with Sun Microsystems, um, great company to work for. I then worked at BMC for seven years, which is considered to be a bit of a master's in sales. And then when I was at BMC, I thought, actually, I don't want to go on the VP sales road. I don't want to just yeah. be a sales leader forever. I'd like to run a business. So I had an opportunity to go and work for SAP and run a complete business as managing director at SAP. Okay. Then things changed for me. I got involved in angel investing and started to work with some really early stage businesses and found that the structure and the the things that I'd learned over the previous 15 years, 20 years, were really interesting to startups and they were asking me to help. So Inspiring was sort of founded from all of that experience that I had over my sort of corporate career and then working with startups to help them with growth. And that was sort of how we began four and a half years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're very fortunate now to be working with some of the, the biggest and uh, high growth, smallest companies in the world. 
Nice. And I I saw that you're one of a few or a minority group of uh, consultancy or sale consultancies that are pretty predominantly female led. Is that is that correct? Uh, yeah, there aren't many female led sales consultancies for sure. Yeah. yeah, which is probably a product of the pipeline that there is within the sales. I would say the sales community, tech community. You know, we're still pretty low on numbers to be mm. fair females in sales what whilst there are some organizations that are doing really well um I've, i don't think i've seen many that have breached sort of 30 percent in terms of population for sure it's amazing and you I mean you see some companies that now have specific kpis around um was it diversity numbers and and so forth and it's it's still there's a lot of work to be done in a lot of areas because a lot of companies are still very heavily male dominated which is is unfortunate and we need to have more and more females because there's so much capability out there just and from my own experience there's lots and lots of fantastic leaders or leaders in the making that are female yeah it's interesting i was once listening to a podcast which was a, a financial times podcast actually about the state of economists around the world and about how diversity within the economist community was actually really um, undiverse and that they didn't have many females there. And they were actually talking about the, was it the way that uh, sort of economists are positioning the outcome for students? So for example, talking about you can make stacks of money and you can be a trader and you can blah, 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 rather than being, well, actually an economist that maybe would help a um, developing country and do some good and those sorts of things. And I do wonder with sales sometimes when we talk a lot about the the money that's to be earned and it's quite a, um, certainly in the UK, it's not necessarily something pe you shout from the rooftops that you're a salesperson. <laughs> I do wonder if there's a little bit about the brand that's maybe not attracting, you know, females into that environment potentially. Yeah. Um, and yet most, there's some really great females that are in for the customer success world. Diversity is much stronger yeah. and yet isn't that the same thing looking after your customers doing well for them yeah uh, yeah so it needs some thought I think it's fascinating because you mentioned I mean it, it's also a very competitive field and even today even though sales is probably one of if not the oldest profession on the planet there still is this I guess this um I don't know perception that oh you're in sales you must be dodgy you must be pushy and all that sort of stuff my experience having been in this and and what I work with my clients on is it's actually the ultimate form of service. So if you if you care about your customers and you can create an environment where you're adding value to them, then a natural consequence of that will be they're looking for some form of solution from you. So you'd be doing them a disservice if you didn't share that. And so it's not about the, the push, it's about servitude. And it also means that the sale really doesn't start until after the sale is made. And, and I learned that the hard way when going through and buying um, buying vehicles a number of years ago because the salesperson treated me as a number, as a commission check, and they were all over me before I bought the car. And as soon as I bought the car, I didn't, haven't heard from them since. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was a blog that we wrote um, a couple of years ago actually talking about, you know, customers are your greatest Everest. If you, if you can serve your customers, look after your customers, then actually you haven't got to worry about your pipeline, mm. providing you're continuing to think about what serves them, what what services their challenges that they have, and then keep that customer success going. And it is interesting, actually, if you look at the industry now around the way that um, customer success is going, 
in, in the past, particularly in the in the SaaS industry, customer success was essentially the renewals team who just didn't yeah. talk to customers until they were there to renew. But now there's significant investment that's going into adoption and customer success. And the tide's turning, obviously, for the better for customers because yes. they get better service. They do. And we also got to acknowledge that customers, more than any other time in history, are a lot more educated and they're doing a lot more research. So we can't afford to uh, not serve them, not actually bring insights to the table and not know something about them and their business and hopefully the problems they're, they're experiencing before we start to engage them. So that customer success journey is such an important thing. Yeah. And I wonder if the events of last year actually, so macroeconomic events, which particularly around things like valuations, obviously, again, I'm talking about the tech industry, where valuations were less about net new customer growth at all costs yeah. and instead about profitability. Well, then actually, it's not about just acquiring customers in a hit and run type fashion. Instead, it's about that long term service, upselling, cross selling. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I just want to bring you back to part of your history, because you mentioned that you left school relatively early and got into a sales role quite early, quite young. Um, mm -hmm. What was, if if there was one or two key lessons, because there will be people who are listening to this who are relatively young and they may have, and I don't want to call it imposter syndrome because they're young and all that sort of stuff, but somebody who was going into sales who was relatively young, um, what were some of the key lessons that you learnt in that phase? And it might be that we then delve into the importance of your personal board that you create. Um, that enabled you to, A, um, start to create some momentum, but also start to realise that, hey, this career actually, despite my early desire to become a doctor, actually has a, a good reputation around it, and I think I can do something really special here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I, um, so it's interesting you say about the imposter syndrome um, because I was I was definitely in that for a very, very long term early in my career. So um, so going back to the story that I gave at the beginning around, so I was 19, I was working for Ingram Micro, I was earning a very modest salary, a good salary for a 19-year-old. Yeah. And then this, this lovely chap said to me, look, I think you could do something better. Let me take you to this company and let's get you a account manager's job in a tech company. Now, we were driving along to this job interview and he said to me, what are you going to ask for salary? And I was like, I, I don't know. What should I ask for salary? And he said, well, you can't just ask for a pay rise on what you've got. You're going to have to ask for proper money. And proper money was three times what I was earning. Yep. And I was thinking, are you serious? I'm going to go into this job interview and I'm going to at 19, I'm going to ask for a substantial amount of cash. He said, you've got to, because otherwise they'll they'll smell a rat and then that's it. So I went into this job interview and the guy that I was interviewing with was an amazing guy. Um, and he says to me, what sort of salary do you want? And I said, well, I said, I think what's what would be fair is what sort of salary are you paying your sales reps? Uh, so it's yeah. less about what I want here. It's, you know, what you, what's fair market value? And I had a figure in my head and eventually I sort of disclosed the figure and he knocked a little bit off and the rest was history. And I ended up then earning three times the amount of money that I was earning. And <laughs> But then for the next eight months, I remember actually um, I was living with my mum and dad. I had like a printer on the floor and I was sat in the lounge, like doing my proposals for UBS and Credit Suisse. And I was thinking, this is going to stop at some point. They're going to figure me out. They're going to find it out. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, 
but what but what I did learn is I so I um so one of the first clients I had working for that company was UBS and I built a really great champion at UBS who sort of helped me get into the company helped me develop my pipeline with them and actually defended me against IBM when they wanted to cut the channel partner out yeah and and actually what that taught me was if you build really great relationships with people, which is about what they want rather than what you want, then actually they'll look after you. And um, and so in that particular case, we the reason why he kept us in the deal and kept us involved and looked after me was because we were providing really great service to that customer. So I think um, so the sort of lessons that I have is we're always going to feel imposter syndrome. Of course we are for everything different that we do. Um, but I think if you surround yourself with people that can give you a bit of guidance and keep, you can keep checking in with them to make sure you're on the right road, you can get around that. <laughs> I love that story. It's um like three times. And when you're, when you're going in there, what were you, what was your first thought before the, before I guess one of your earlier mentors said, no, no, you've actually got to ask for real money. Were you just thinking, oh, I'll just, ask for a certain percentage on what I'm earning right now or see what the see what they say. Well, I had no, I, I actually remember driving up there and I had no, uh, I actually had no idea what these people earn. And I actually, no, I had no idea what I was walking into. And then when I arrived at this lovely, lovely place in the middle of nowhere and was where we had the offices and I walked, and so as I was walking in, one of the director's Ferraris was outside. And, I, and then I was thinking, okay what what is going on here and and whilst it never seemed like that it wasn't that sort of company they weren't very bling it was actually a very almost family run reseller um lovely place I, I yeah I just didn't know I didn't know at all and and actually that was probably a good thing right because that, yeah. there was less pressure because I yeah. if, if I didn't get it I wouldn't have known what I missed yeah and I guess the other story I'm getting a a key principle I'm getting out of that is is back yourself, irrespective of you know whether you had or hadn't the experience that a lot of companies look for today. Which I'm a bit of a uh, I've got a bit of a an issue with that because I think more and more emotional intelligence is more important than perhaps your your single track record. You've got to back yourself, right? And as a salesperson in particular, you've got to have the courage to ask for what you want because if you don't ask, you never find out. Yeah, I think you have. And I, but, but I'm also a bit of a journey person as well, which is, you know, all of these people that you meet, there's always something you're going to get out of that conversation. So it sort of it doesn't matter if you don't necessarily get the job in that moment, but actually just go in and enjoy the conversation and, and learn something. You know, and I was I was there learning from a, a guy who'd, you know, built this, you know, big IBM reseller business Um you know, with a couple of his friends, essentially. And I was thinking, well, well there's, there's stuff to learn here, right? So so it sort of, it didn't it didn't matter to me whether necessarily that I got it. But then I think if I look back through my career, most of the conversations I've had with people have been, well, this is a nice conversation. Oh, it's now gone somewhere. Oh, amazing. That's sort of, yeah. Tell me about that. A bit, yeah. Which, which sounds like... Um... It's almost like a natural sales progress, right? Because if you think about sale, a sales process, it's a conversation, right? Um, and if you resonate with an individual, they're more likely to resonate with you, which opens the door for a potential opportunity. If there's a problem there and a solution that you've got might solve that problem, then, hey, we'll move forward. If not, um, it won't. And either way, it's okay. But I think what, what we're hearing is the importance of building relationships and keeping people 
close to you, being curious as well and asking lots of questions. And I'm sure the, I guess the initial stages, even though you might've been blown away by a Ferrari in the car park, you would have learned that, hey, people don't be successful just by turning up. They have to do some work. Um, yeah. So I'd love to explore your, your thoughts around uh, building your personal a personal board, like a mastermind group. But before we do that, um, can we talk about, talk about sales in terms of your experience in your early phases uh, and particularly building pipelines? Because a lot of a lot of sales teams rely very heavily on, I guess, marketing agencies, internal marketing capabilities, um, and not necessarily build the skill set around building and maintaining their own sales pipeline. So I love I love your thoughts on that, but also your experience on on what you did to I guess fast track your development. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so this is one of those moments that I sort of get on my soapbox with quite a lot with some of the clients that we work with. Because whenever we talk about pipeline, I always have a little chuckle to myself because back in the day when I started in sales, you had to phone the switchboard and ask to the speak to the IT manager because you didn't know what that person's name was. And, um, you know, you're sort of just hoping that they were you were going to get through the switchboard and actually talk to a human these days, there's so much information that's available on all of these people. We know their names. You could probably work out their, you know, husbands, wives' names, kids' names, because you can just Google it all these days. Um, so it's it's really interesting how actually in a lot of cases, people aren't doing the research and actually the, the information is there for sure. So mm. I think one of the one of the things that I would say just around pipeline is is do the research and and actually do it yourself even if you've got a big marketing department account-based marketing assistance whatever it, it's too easy too lazy to not go and find out the information yourself because if you don't if you can't put yourself in the customer's shoes and live and breathe the challenges that they're facing and think like an AXA or a Telstra or whoever mm. the company is you're trying to sell to, you'll never get in there. Mm. And there's some really great research that's out there around salespeople that go in with a point of view but spend more time listening are more able to pivot and get a better result and convert. So, you know, the more researched you are, the more easy it is to pivot in that conversation and then get something out of the conversation. So I think research is one. Um, and the other one is really basic is um, you, you need to do it. Pipeline generate. You need to get into the habit of every week, dedicate the time. Don't procrastinate. Nobody likes to do it. It's the worst job in sales. It's why we all become leaders. Um, <laughs> but just suck it up. And it's just, somebody else's job. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's that's the SDR's job. I don't have to do that now. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah so usually as as reps we try and you know fob it off and say that somebody oh i'm not getting enough leads from my sdrs <laughs> suck it up that's your job right <laughs> um just things that i learned though uh again going back to the customer conversation like how i did really well in those early early um years of my career i had some big strategic customers I got myself in there. I always ended up being a trusted advisor that got a badge. So mm -hmm. I was allowed to walk the halls. I never disrespected that. And I always was very respectful with how I showed up at people's desks. Um, but I had really great champions that I built through trust. 
And again, that's something else that we can get a little bit lazy with. We forget that it takes several meetings to build trust with customers. You can't shortcut that process if you want to take down really big deals. No, exactly right. And it's um, it does take time. And what a lot of salespeople, even today, kind of neglect or choose not to focus on is there's always going to be more than one influencer or key decision maker within that customer. So don't just focus on the IT manager or the CRO. And I remember back when the when I was in uh, running sales teams at both Optus and Telstra, our executives were saying, oh, go high, go high and go wide, but go at the senior level. We want to be at the strategic level. Well, that's all well and good, and that's fantastic, but you don't always get ready access to those people. But there are going to be trusted advisors that that are in their organization who you do need to become aware of and build relationships with because they become your internal advocates and your internal champions. So don't ever neglect that. Yeah, Um, absolutely. The other thing I was really intrigued what you said before is is in part of the research. And I think I'd love your take on this because my my view is a lot of salespeople focus far too much on the telling and try to impress upon a customer or a prospective customer how good their product is or how good their company is or how reputable they are. You said a very interesting thing and the word was listen. Mm. So your take on that in terms of being an effective salesperson without saying a percentage, or if you want to, you can, um, what sort of percentage or how much should we be listing versus telling in a sales role, particularly when it comes to building pipeline? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I would say the lion's share has got to be in the customer's court, right? So it's got to be, you, you, you've got to be thinking that, you know, you're talking you know, maybe 30, 40% and then the customer's doing the rest of the talking. Now, but there there is a bit of an, uh, a trick to this as well, which is you've got to ask good questions. Yeah. So you've got to be ready with good questions. It's no good coming out with statements and facts and those sorts of things. You've got to be able to ask good questions that allow your customers to uh, almost dream a little bit and wander down the road of the challenges that they're having. And so rather than because otherwise what could end up happening is, is you're in an interrogation room and it's like quick fire questions. You need to ask good questions to be able to get them to, you know, almost elaborate on some of those challenges. So so absolutely, you should be working on the fact that you are not going to be talking for more than 30, 40 percent of the meeting. Definitely have a point of view, demonstrate your credentials and research, but have some good questions ready. Mm. Uh, a tip that I usually give people is um, TED questions. Tell me, explain to me, describe to me, just because uh, it's easy to remember. And then you could just say, oh, could you describe what's that end to end process look like today? You know, where are your biggest challenges? Where would you like to be? You know, and then there's lots there that the customer could then launch into their story. It gives you a chance just to hear what's going on. I don't want the listeners to miss that because I must say um, that was music to my ears because that's one of the key acronyms that I use when I teach sales teams and sales oh, okay. on how to ask open mm. questions. So a lot of, and particularly in Australia, I'm, I'm not sure how it works in the UK, but with the Aussie accent and the Aussie slang and the way that we normally talk, even though we might be using the what, the when, and all that sort of stuff, which is the open question preface, preface, um, by throwing the tell, explain, describe in front and using appropriate tonality, it turns a question into an open question. And it's really hard for a customer or anybody who asks the question of 
to not give you more information when one of those three words is placed in front of a sentence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and we have to get better at asking those open questions because um, particularly in the beginning when you haven't got the trust and you haven't earned the right to ask lots of questions, yeah. you're probably going to get a couple of chances to ask a really good question before the customer is going to shut that conversation down. Yeah. Now, if, if, if you want to if you're pretty sure that they they are a good prospect for your pipeline, you need to try and keep as many doors open as you can. So yeah. um, definitely worth discussing that as internal sales teams and practicing it and getting ready so that you can ask those good questions. Because good questions will also, in many cases, disarm the customer and you may actually find them sharing more information than they were intending uh, to share if you ask those great questions. And then listen. And if you listen well, there'll be little nuggets of gold that they'll share with you. And guess what? We'll then ask another question that's linked to that. Yeah. Yeah. And even in situations where you're pretty sure that you've got a solution to solve a customer problem, we work with a lot of uh, organizations and help them with um, uh, deal reviews and strategic account reviews, those sorts of things. And it's amazing how many advanced sales opportunities people are working on where they've been so narrow in their questioning all the way along. And then all of a sudden the customer puts down the shutters and the fundamentals of the deal, which you should have discovered in the beginning, just actually aren't known because you didn't yeah. ask the questions in the beginning. And it yeah. might've just been, you know, un unneeded information, irrelevant information in the beginning, but um, you're going to need that when you get to the end. What else Absolutely. are they working? And my view is that's, that's, a key role of the sales leader to make sure that the sales team are asking the questions. Is there a compelling event? Do they have budget? What is their decision-making process? Whatever And whatever else like the, um, you need to find out. out. So um, with all that, um, with, the, with the teams and the organizations that you work with today, are there any key principles that you use to help them build and maintain a solid pipeline? Because as you mentioned before, there's so much information available to us Customs are more educated than ever. They're probably doing research on us before they choose to engage. We need to be prepared as well. Um, uh, now, whether that's uh, methodologies or whether that's uh, where we source the information, are there any key things that you can suggest people in 2024 in relation to not only building but also maintaining a really solid sales pipeline? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so a couple of things that I'd... I'd suggest, um, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, is is the first one is um, is habit, right? You, you need to make a plan as a sales leader and a sales individual to do the work, right? Yeah. And to do the work regularly. So, you know, have a pipeline generation day. I know it still sounds like it's a bit old fashioned and, you know, um, there's a lot of bad press that goes around having those dedicated days, but, but it's important to do it because it's just making sure that everybody's topping up their pipeline, even when they're super busy. And particularly towards the end of the quarter where there's lots of excuses that are made around not developing pipeline at certain points of the quarter, but there's always an excuse, right? Absolutely. None of us want to spend a day on the phone and just get rejection after rejection, right? Because that is a pipeline generation day for sure. Um, <laughs> but the first thing I'd say is habit. The second thing I would say is get the whole organization involved. So, you know, marketing, I've got some really good input. Customer success, got some really good input. If you have a separate renewals team, really good input. 
services teams that are on site with your clients, they yeah. would have really good input. Get everybody involved and reward everybody for pipeline. Your salespeople are going to get rewarded anyway. So re mm. reward some of those people on the periphery a little bit more and get them involved in generating pipeline. That would be another key thing that I would suggest. Um, wow. And then in preparation for those days, uh, again, you sort of uh, you mentioned this a little earlier around the sales leaders. Quite often the sales leaders or the people who write the playbooks focus on the what we need to know from the customer mm. rather than taking it a step further, which is how do we ask the question? So yeah. let's practice how we ask the question. Let's talk about Ted again. Tell me, explain to me, describe to me, just to try and open up those those questions a little bit. Mm. Um, so that then, you know, when they are in theatre and they are in a real conversation, they then are able to use it because, again, it's habitual. And the more habit that we can develop, the, the easier it's going to be to remember. It is. And look, at the end of the day, and I and I hate using this term because I'm not a big fan of it, but it is a numbers game, right? So in in order to yeah. develop a habit, you're going to have to do some numbers, right? And and the key and the, the key thing that I talk about, and I love your thoughts on this around with sales leaders in particular, is know what the outcome is, but then work backwards and know what your conversion rates are, know what your opportunity rates are, so that. You don't have to necessarily, because gone are the days where you just get the yellow pages and say, righto, Emma, there's your page, just go and dial, do, yeah. do your work and come back and see me at the end of the day. Uh, we've got to be a lot more uh, directional about that, a lot more specific about that. But you've got to know your yeah. numbers and you've got to know what your conversion rates are, so you know what you're playing with. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've seen a lot of organizations that work with a cookbook, which is exactly that. So work back your numbers. It's the recipe for success, right? It's, yep. um, you know, how many calls are you going to make into how many customers to drive how many opportunities? You know, absolutely. You know, a bit of maths to try and yep. to try and work that through for sure. Yeah. 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 So with that, let's let's pivot because I'd love to talk about your book um, that you when when was that released? Uh, so it's released in April of last year. Yeah. Oh, so it's relatively new. So it's sitting very strategically there on your shelf for those yeah. who happen to yeah, be watching the is. video. Yeah. <laughs> the personal board of you, Inc. Um, and one of the things that I know about you is you put a lot of your, I guess, sales success and progress across your career to the people who you've associated with, who've come into your, um, I guess, your environment either um, by intention or maybe maybe serendipity, I don't know. Um, but I'd love you to talk a little bit about the importance of the people who you surround yourself with, particularly in a sales and a sales leadership role. And there might be some specific um, questions I want to ask you around um, some key guides that we can use to uh, to help improve our network. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, yeah, so I wrote this book uh, last year, which was a long time coming, um, sort of started it at the beginning of covid and where it came from was back to that story that I had around when I was 19 and somebody yeah. said to me, hey, I think I think we could get you somewhere else. Um, it was all around, you know, the, the people that you surround yourself with and how they can really make a difference in your life. But also, how do you choose the people that you surround yourself with? So mm -hmm. um, and, and I suppose the, the sort of underlying thought of this is, is we all want life to be a meritocracy. We all want to be recognized for our value and our worth and all those sorts of things, which is great. However, if nobody knows who we are and what we want, 
how can they reward us? Mm. So the the challenge is, is if you keep um, your, if the people that you take advice from and the people that you're hoping can help you grow are only the people you've organically picked up, like this guy that I mentioned from IBM, then you're only ever going to be, you're going to be constrained by your network. So what if you start a little bit more surgically thinking, okay, well, actually, I want to go and run a business in Asia, but I don't know anything about Asian business and I don't know any of the headhunters that would be, take me out there. So um, I'm going to find out who I know through my network. And then everybody these days is roughly three to four connections away from anyone. Yep. So that's the idea. And in fact, that was the example that I had when I was running an Asian business, knew nothing about Asia. I went to some people that I knew in my network who'd run Asian businesses and said, I need three to four mentors in Asia. Can you help me? The next thing you know, I was on the phone to president of Asia from Ingram Micro, Accenture, and one of the big headhunters from, from Singapore to give me a view of what does the market look like? How's everybody operating? Um so, so that's what you can achieve if you just start to think about it a, a little bit more than just picking up people along the way. I love, I love that because a lot of a lot of the work that I do is around mentoring, and mm -hmm. I talk to people who are because there's a lot of people out there the seeking mentors, whether within an organization or somewhere in their life, right? And I said, well, the thing is, mentors don't go around and they don't advertise, hey, I'm a mentor. Would you like to be mentored, right? But they love to mentor people. They love to share information. They love to share experience and they love to open doors for others. But they're waiting to be asked. And so, as you mentioned before, you can organically build your network and that's fine, but you need to be strategic and you need to know what you're looking for. And it doesn't have to be like in 15 years time, but what's the next three to six months look like? You mentioned before you wanted to explore the possibility of working in Asia Pacific, but you didn't know much about how businesses run. So what you did, you started to look. So there all of a sudden the opportunity came because you had four yep. or five people now in your in your environment. Um, so for people listening to this, are there any specific tips that you can give people? Because I find a lot of the time people don't know what they don't know. Right, they think oh, yep. I'm very happy here. I'd love to do this one day, but I don't know what do I do. Do I have do I reach out to the CEO of SAP or Salesforce? What if they ignore me? What if they think I'm spam? Mm. Yeah, well, uh, but also, um, what if you don't? Right, if you reach out to them, and <laughs> to chance. Whereas if you don't, there's probably no chance unless you get really lucky one day. But um, yeah, so I mean, the first thing is is just to think about what, right, where are you headed, and then and then to think about well, and now who am I taking advice from? Because particularly, I'd say for if we just specifically talk about salespeople for a second, um, most salespeople are taking advice from other salespeople. They're taking advice from their peers, probably within the same company. There's no diversity of company that's going on. They're just in their own little world. They're on the treadmill. They're doing their thing. And that's it. Yeah. The challenge with that is um, you're, you're all possibly on the same journey. And so where's your competitive edge? Where's your yes. different perspective? Um, now, even if you just want to be a sales per career salesperson forever, um, your competitive edge might not be that you're trying to beat somebody to the next sales manager job. It might be that you're just trying to prospect better and be mm. the first to club or whatever the thing is that you're trying to do. 
well, getting some perspective from the outside around how are people prospecting into accounts today? What are the new tools that are out there? What industries are particularly hot right now? Just get another perspective. Mm. So, so working out where you're headed, you know, like you say, just has can be short term. That's fine. Work out who you're taking advice from today, and what perspectives are you missing, mm. and then you find those perspectives. Now, I would say as well that. In most cases, as I've mentioned, you could probably ask your network to find you the next person. And if you've invested in your network well, um, most people are quite happy to do that. Um, but I'd also um, say as well is don't be afraid to reach out to strangers. So yeah. I uh, had an example of this where uh, we moved to Cornwall in COVID. Most of the angel investing stuff that I'd always done had always been in London and I was trying to find a network locally in Cornwall. So I Googled angel investing Cornwall. And then I saw that this guy had spoke at this event. So I reached out to him on LinkedIn and I was really specific with my ask. I said to him, hey, just moved. Can you signpost me to communities in this area? So I didn't even ask him to meet with him. Yeah. And he said to me, happily we'll jump on the phone and just explain the network and explain the communities and and actually since met with him several times since, and actually that's opened out a whole other network. So if you're really careful with your ask, don't ask people for too much time. The same with prospecting, right? Yeah. Don't ask customers for an hour when you've not met them. Um, be really specific and you never know where you'll get, right? No. And as you said before, if you don't ask, you'll never, you'll, well, if you don't ask, you guarantee to get a no. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Who knows? <laughs> and you probably regret it. You'll regret it forever as well. I mean, yeah. Well, and and I I, I take the the example of my own experience around just doing podcasts, right? So, um, the number of people that now reach out to me to want to come onto my podcast is phenomenal. And I didn't didn't start out with that intention, but through just and it comes back to the consistency and the habit to to develop. Um, it gets out there and people like to come on to a podcast to have a conversation because now I'm connected to all these different people around the world that four years ago I didn't even know existed. And it's opened up a completely different, um, I, in some degrees, a stratosphere, which is yeah. which is phenomenal. Um, just on that, though, can I just chip in on that exact point? Just going back to your point about mentors as well, something that I talk about in my book, which is, People often worry that when they're asking mentors for stuff, that it, the beneficiary is the mentee always. Yeah. And similarly to why people come on your podcast, no doubt, is that when these people are talking about their experience and they're talking about their stories, even for me just now, by talking about it, by telling somebody else about my stories, that gives me clarity on the things that I took away. And that's why you see very senior people being mentors, because it's still yeah. it's the way of them coaching themselves on what's their message, what's the clarity, what's the importance, those sorts of things. So um, I, I think it's really important that people remember that, that it's not just a one sided relationship with mentors and mentees. hundred percent, hundred percent. And there are so many mentors that I've spoken with that probably in their eyes get more out of a mentoring relationship than the mentee. And if nothing else, it's to crystallize their own philosophy, their own principles, their own standards, um, their own pitch. If they're if they're helping with pitching, um, my own experience is you know running running workshops and facilitation. 
doing a podcast where you have to ask questions and in some cases you do a personal podcast, just me banging into a microphone, um, it's helped the allocution in workshops. So not only do I understand what I'm talking about, I can better now communicate what I'm talking about, which increases the opportunity of the people in workshops understanding what am I talking what am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's like self-soothing that's going on well, in your podcast every week. Everybody's now going to be looking for that on your weekly podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it's not about me. So we're talking about you. So um so other other tips. So you mentioned salespeople. So from and a lot of the people that are listening to this are going to be sales leaders and probably looking at their existing network. Now, there's many different ways to build a network. Obviously, you've got networking groups. You can be part of affiliations and associations. One of the most obvious networking um, platforms, obviously, is LinkedIn. And I know you're pretty big on LinkedIn, as am I. Um, some key tips around that. I'm not sure because, I, I, look, full disclosure, I haven't read your books, so I don't know whether you cover things in, in your book around yep. things like LinkedIn, but... Um, some key thoughts on on platforms such as that building mm. building a quality network. Yeah, so uh, so I actually don't cover LinkedIn, but it's one of my most favourite subjects to talk about as well. Is um, maybe another book? Your, yeah, well, possibly. I'm not sure I'm qualified for a LinkedIn book, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, again, this goes back to whether you're prospecting or you're thinking about your network for personal growth, but. Look at your LinkedIn profile from the perspective of somebody that doesn't know you and what is there. It's it's really interesting when I talk to salespeople around, um, oh, this customer, I've been trying to get hold of this customer and they won't call me back. Okay, well, let's have a look at your shop window. What does your shop window look like? Do you look like you're an interesting individual for somebody to talk to? Okay, possibly need some work, right? So we need to, <laughs> we maybe need to have a look at that. You know, what are you posting? If you're just hitting the repost button, not interesting. Yes. Um, so the same for sales leaders, I would say, as well. So, And it's even it's even a bigger point for sales leaders because you've got senior customers that you're reaching into. You've got to look interesting. But you're also hiring as well. And a big part of LinkedIn and your shop window on LinkedIn is all about who your next hires are because you're only as good as the team that you hire. Yeah. So. So make sure that there's stuff on your LinkedIn profile that talks about the culture that you develop and recommendations from people who have worked for you and, you know, what you're saying about the company and all of those sorts of things. Um, so definitely I would suggest that um, around LinkedIn. And then you absolutely have to build a broad network because particularly if you're moving jobs and you've got a new team to build, your ability to build teams quickly is it's going to have a huge impact on your productivity. So the more you invest in your network, I would say that the better it's going to be because ultimately it's a people game when you get into sales leadership. It is. It is 100%. What would you say to people who say the biggest, the, ne the bigger network, the better? Are you, yeah, are I mean, you, is it thoughts on quantity versus quality or is it more quality over quantity? Uh, I would say diversity of network is really okay. important. So yeah. because we're never going to be in the same job for the entirety of our career. So you need to constantly be thinking about that next thing. Where's that next network piece that you're going to need to add? I think that's definitely worth doing. Um, but also you've got to invest time to keep that network going as well. Yeah. So. Um, 
I mean, I, I do feel like I've invested in my network over the years, but the advice that I would always give to my younger self is you didn't do enough, right? Because you've, you've got to keep those connections going because what those connections are for is one day you're going to ask them for something, right? Yes. And if you've not put the pennies in the jar, there's nothing to withdraw. So it's no good just being superficial, got 50,000 connections, amazing, you need to build some sort of connection with those people so that when you ask, you get some really good results back. Yeah. Um, totally agree with that. What do you say to people to say, I know I'm so busy. You don't understand how, how much under the pump I am. Um, what do you, what are you talking about? What do you mean by investing? Are you saying I have to get on the phone to them, send them text messages. Um, what does that, what does that potentially look like investing yep. in your network? So I would say um, a, a very basic level, you should be spending a couple of 30 minutes a week just connecting with your network. And I would say they're probably having a couple of conversations with people. Um, and, and if you think you're too busy, then remember that these conversations help you with clarity and planning and all of those sorts of things, it, because it's a it's actually a different way that your brain is thinking mm not being on the treadmill all the time yeah and just and just by stepping back it's the same as coaching right I always remember mm -hmm. when I first became a sales leader I thought oh my god three hours for coaching I have not got time for three hours for coaching this is you know monthly it's ridiculous but actually what you find is those three hours just give you clarity on your plan what you're doing your key actions and probably save six weeks worth of procrastination because you've got such clarity. It's yeah. the same with your network. That's that's the whole idea. So it is a spend time to save time and you need to take the leap. Yeah, you can't afford not to. No. And if you look again at what happened last year, I know some really amazing people that ended up without a job last year because of the layoffs that, that went on. And every single one of them that I spoke to that was struggling to find their next role said, I wish I'd have invested more in my network because then when this happens, I just don't feel like I can call on anyone. So yeah. it is an insurance policy for the future. Hundred mm, percent. And I would like to say that it it it's almost similar to a sales campaign, right? And it's not it's not the fact you're going to sell anything to them necessarily, but it's actually an investment in your future because you just don't know when an opportunity is going to present itself, and you don't know you might be a conduit for one of your connections to actually be connected to somebody else and you become the catalyst for that person getting a new role. And that will come back to you as well because of the value you've added there. Absolutely. And exact, exactly that. And that's what I see now with my network. So many amazing things have happened over the last couple of years for me and, you know, our business and the book and et cetera. And, and, and when I look back, I think, well, actually all of those things are happening because of, of favors that I paid, you know, into the network for, just because I did it because I wanted to do it, um, it is just so important. It really is so important. Uh, I don't want to miss that point there because what you're talking about is giving and servitude. So a lot of people might be listening to this and saying, okay, I need to build a network based on what I potentially can get out of it down the track. And that may happen, but it doesn't work that way in real life. You've got to start looking at what value you can add to others. How can you serve others? How can you give to others? but not expect anything in return because it's the right thing to do. The more you do that, the more people are going to find opportunities and almost like this unconscious desire to want to help you in return. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I do think some of the some of the most amazing leaders that I've ever worked for, you know, they were always the people who had that, you know, they always had great rapport with everybody. They were just such giving leaders and and people followed them because they you know, when you were talking to them, you were the only person in the room, right? And they were those people. They did everything they can to sort of help you. And and there was a following that sort of went with that. And I think perhaps one of the reasons why I invested in my network like I did was because I wanted to be like those leaders. I wanted yeah. to be one of those people that people followed. Um, but like you say, there's definitely, definitely worth reading Adam Grant's uh, Give and Take. Definitely mm. a good book recommendation to read there. Because it talks about the people who give unconditionally and the and the returns that come back to them. And then also the people that um, take, yeah. um, you know, and but also there's the people in between mm. who what uh, he calls matches, which are when you get something, you give something um, yes. and sort of what happens there. But it's definitely a perspective worth listening to because it makes you think around well, well, givers have really wide networks, really mm. wide networks. Um, yeah. That's what you need for a long career. Absolutely. And I'm I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I'm sure that as you look back on your career, a number of your opportunities came through invitations from your network rather than you applying for roles. Would that be a fair, a fair deduction? Uh, absolutely. So I entered a process at SAP, which... I possibly would have got immediately filtered out of that process for um, because I knew the leader that was hiring for yeah. sure. Um, and, and actually other opportunities when I joined Angel Academy, the Angel, the Angel Network, uh, that was through recommendation. Um, and, and actually um, Inspiring's business, we are 90% referral and have a really high conversion rate because everybody's on referral, right? So um <laughs> So that's exactly what you'd hope for, right? That's the way to build a, a really sustainable business. Wow. There must be something in that, Emma. There must be something in that whole customer service being good and, you know, serving people, perhaps, perhaps. But sometimes it doesn't seem the world operates that way. But, you know, I, I live in hope. Well, I think with a lot of people it's and a lot of companies, it's it's the immediate gratification. Let's just let's get our numbers in. And they think that their products or their services will sell. It's when it's all said and done, and I think you've articulated this really well. It's it's the people you connect with, it's the service you provide, it's the value you provide that eventually will actually start to turn the flywheel. And when it does, you can't stop it. As long as we continue to invest in that network. And whether it be investing in your pipeline, as we've talked about, or investing in broadening your network where you can add value, it will uh, hold you in good stead. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just one final point for me, one thing that I've I've started to think about over the last few weeks is, you know, as you as we all, you know, as we develop this idea and get really good at this and we're serving the network, um, I think my next horizon is so. So what happens when your network gets so big that actually you can't service your network? as you as an individual anymore. And I think that's something that is definitely on my my development, my learning curve now, because I've I've always been really invested in my network and I'm finding myself now at slightly creaking point because I feel like actually how can I keep serving the network in the way that I always have? So there's there's always more to learn for sure. 
And I won't introduce a topic like artificial intelligence, but we almost have to try to um, duplicate ourselves, right? So we can continue to provide that value, but keep it authentic as well. So that that is a dilemma and maybe a topic for another day. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is that's definitely something for um, for the future, for sure. Yeah. So, Emma, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast, and I know you've got uh, appointments to get to. Uh, if there's uh, one more piece of advice you can give people, but also I'd love to know how do people get in contact with you, how do people connect with you, uh, yep. and how do people get a hold of the book, The Personal Board of You, Inc.? Amazing. So, um, personal board, you can either have a look at emmamaslin.com and uh, you can have a look at the book there, or it's available on Amazon all good bookshops, etc. So feel free to, to have a look. Um, but you, feel free to contact me on LinkedIn and uh, we can get a book out to you for sure. So that's a little about the book. Uh, Inspire Room, so we're a, a sales, um, go-to-market coaching organisation, training organisation. You can find us at inspireroom.coach. Um, and we've got some really fantastic resources out there given freely to the network because obviously that's what we believe in. So we got uh, we provide a lot of uh, free resources out to people for good ideas as well. So um, certainly have a look at that as well. But I really appreciate the opportunity to talk today. It's been great to chat. Brilliant. On that note, uh, thank you so much. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, hopefully doing part two. Well, we can talk about artificial intelligence, how to, how to broaden Emma's reach. <laughs> Amazing. That's great. Thanks so much for uh, inviting Thanks, me Emma. on. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.